You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson here in the Cardinals Sports Center studio, a part of the Republic of Football podcast feed. You can find us where you find your podcast. Just search Dave Campbell's Republic of Football. We'll be there in the feed. Uh, joined today by Chase Kitty, the Lion's Edge podcast, Bet MGM. Uh, how you doing today, Chase? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. We, uh, we're talking West Virginia today. Uh, you are a West Virginia alum, I believe. I'm a JMU alum, but I grew up in Morgantown, so I kind okay. of you get to claim some uh, some West Virginia status after that. That's what I did. I grew up in Lubbock. I did not go to Texas Tech, yeah. but uh, by association, I am a Texas Tech uh, fan. So, uh, if you have to live in the town and live and die by it, I think you get to claim it. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you think your Mountaineers this year so far, and and head coach Neil Brown? Well, Neil Brown is. Neil Brown and his status and the overall finances of West Virginia and any related buyouts are kind of an insane topic right now. Um, In terms of the team itself, so far, and I I don't know how much good data we have to go on um, based on the fact that they beat an FCS team, lost to a top 10 Penn State team, and and Pitt might really suck as it turns out. So I, I... I don't want to join the throng of West Virginia fans who are freaking out right now. Very sober expectations. But I think I was a little higher on them to begin with than, than most people. I, I think, you know, I saw a lot of stuff that was, hey, is, is West Virginia the 14th best team in the Big 12 coming into this year? And it's, they're not they're not very good, but I, I do think they're probably better than that. I think they're going to compete for a bull bid. And I think when you look at the rest of the middle class in the Big 12, being a, a touch worse than it usually is. This is a conference where we're often impressed by how deep it is. Seems like maybe that's not the case this year, and I do think that opens the door for West Virginia to maybe win a couple more games than usual. I do agree with you there, and when we released our preseason Big 12 ballot, we were one of the few that didn't have West Virginia last. Now, like you alluded to, they weren't top half or anything, but they weren't last and West Virginia fans seem to really appreciate that, almost like they expected to be picked last. And Neil Brown, you know, he didn't really hold any punches during Big 12 media day saying straight up, you know, I, I disagree with this. I think we're going to be better than that and kind of listed the reasons why. Um, do you think there's a magic number he has to get to to save his job? Or is is that hard to peg with kind of the basketball coach situation and a, and a relatively new AD in Morgantown? So – if there were no financial issues with the school right now, and I, I don't know how keyed into all that you guys are, because it is it is kind of secondary from the sports aspect of it. If there were no financial issues, I would think new AD, a coach that's going in the wrong direction, even if he wins five or six games this year, even if he gets this, you know seven and five, you're probably getting rid of him because there's not that much money left on on the on the contract there's not that many years left the way his contract works is he's just owed the balance there's no buyout that gets lower every year you're paying him the balance of the contract if you're canning him um new ad you would think okay they're gonna go find their own man they're gonna make their own hire 
because uh, that's generally how this works when you have a new AD come in. I really think, I mean, West Virginia just cut 29 academic programs because of you know, financial insolvency issues that are going on with the university right now. So there's some real high-level administrative problems. I think even in the context of modern college football, where we have ridiculous buyouts being paid all the time, I think when you have those issues, it is really hard to pay a guy not to work. And so I suspect, and lettuce, it is a total train wreck. My feeling is that they're actually going to let him come back another year. And if if he gets to six and six or seven and five, which nine out of ten West Virginia fans would have taken before the season starts. I, I think there's no way they can let him walk just because of the larger issues at play. It's a very unique situation, but but that's my feeling on the Neil Brown stuff. Unless it's a total dumpster fire the next nine or ten weeks, I think he's probably back in 2024. So even at uh, maybe five and seven, just sniffing a bowl game, he's he's back? I kind of think so, yeah. It's, it's a unique situation because in almost any other setup, you know, five wins, new AD, the guy's gone. It's yeah. just that's how this works now. And I I think there are special rules in this case unless something changes dramatically with the school. Fair enough. You mentioned kind of having a limited sample size of data this early in the season. Both squads, Texas Tech and West Virginia, played an FCS opponent. Both have played a top 10, 15-ish opponent, uh, Penn State for the Mountaineers and Oregon for Texas Tech. And totally different ballgame going to – um, to Penn State to play on the road versus Texas Tech getting to host Oregon. Um, to kind of complete the three-game sample size, how would you just off the top of your dome, if Wyoming played Pitt at a neutral site, what, what would you <laughs> guess the spread would be? I think Wyoming's pretty good. Um, so I, like, I, I'm sure you guys probably heard some crap after that loss. Like, it's tough to play in Laramie. And, you know, they came, Wyoming comes back in the second half and, like I don't think that's that bad of a loss, so I, I would, I would probably go. If you're setting a good line, it's probably more conservative. It's probably like, you know, Wyoming minus three and a half, Wyoming minus three. If you're taking into account, you know, appetites to bet teams and stuff like that. But if if I'm making more of a true odds post, I think it's like Wyoming six. I mean, I think they're definitely better than Pitt. I. I I think until you watch this pit team, like West Virginia's defense is not good. Like it's it's a weakness on the team. And the way they were able to limit Jerkovich and what that offense was able to do, I think it's a huge shout out to, you know, what happened in the stadium and how how raucous and loud and engaged the crowd was. But you can only go so far with a great crowd. It it at some point comes down to the guys on the field. And a pretty average defense really shut that offense down. After the first drive, they really didn't do anything the whole game. So I just think Pitt's, Pitt's offense is so bad, it's kind of team-breaking. It, it's a little bit I, – I compare it a little bit this week on the show, uh, on the line's edge, to Alabama with like, hey, Alabama has some nice pieces, but the quarterback situation is so fundamentally flawed right there that the team is kind of messed up as a result. And I, I think Pittsburgh is a more extreme version of that right now. So on the whole, I think West Virginia, uh, of the two big-time games, Penn State and Oregon, I think West Virginia had the tougher one by by virtue of going on the road. Mm-hmm. And if we say West Virginia is a slightly better opponent than Pitt, do you think all things equal, we can say it's fair that both teams have played 
a, a roughly equal schedule to this point? No, I think Texas Tech has played a slightly harder schedule. I mean, okay. West Virginia played Duquesne. Even I, I do a lot of FCS stuff, so I would even argue, like, if you want to compare FCS opponents, I think Texas Tech had the harder FCS opponent. I think, I think Wyoming is better than Pitt. I just, I don't know. I would, I would, I'm happy we played our schedule, not your schedule. I'll put it that yeah. way. Because I, I was... think, I think if we played Texas Tech schedule, West Virginia's one and two, and right now we played our schedule and we're two and one. So. And that's interesting because I think coming into the year, a lot of people viewed West Virginia playing two power five games in the non-con that they had yeah. one of, if not the toughest non-con schedules in the yes. Big 12. And a lot of fans like myself kind of just treat all FCS teams the same, you know, unless it's like North Dakota State or, you know, you just kind of say, oh, it's the FCS game. And, you know, but there is a difference between certain FCS programs. And so anyway, I was looking at some of the analytics like FPI and Sagarin to see if, see how Wyoming and Pitt stacked up and, those types of sources still have pit considerably higher. Um, but I would trust kind of an odds maker more than those models at this point. So anyway, I was just trying to get my footing there in terms of who's played the more difficult schedule if they're roughly equal. And so I appreciate your insights there. Sure. Well, you mentioned the raucous crowd on uh, Saturday that the backyard brawl um, is there going to be any kind of a letdown from the fans after that major uh, atmosphere to, to do that twice in a row? It's a good question. And, you know, it's hard to simulate Pitt in Morgantown for the first time in 12 years. So last time Pitt played in Morgantown, I was, I think, 20. And, you know, I'm like married now. So, I mean, that's a pretty large gap. Uh, I, I don't think you can match it. But I also don't think it's a letdown. I think the way I described it earlier this week is if if the pit crowd was a nine and a half, I think Texas Tech is probably getting an eight and a half or a nine. And I, I feel that way because it feels like for the first time, like hope is a dangerous thing for a bad program and a bad team, right? And, and I don't know how hopeful West Virginia fans are going to feel in, let's say, mid-November. But right now, it's like the vibes are pretty good. They're, and there haven't been a lot of positive vibes around the football team in the last couple of years. They're 2-1. and one. I think um, I think the adjective I would use for Texas Tech is they're beatable. They're, they're a better team, I think. But it's, a, you know, it's inside of a touchdown, the point spread right now. I don't think it would be like a shock if West Virginia won this game. It would be an upset. It wouldn't be a shock. So I, I think they're feeding off the confluence of those ideas and I think it's going to be another really good crowd. And then if Texas Tech comes in there and wins, I think you're going to see 80 to 90% of that evaporate pretty fast. And it's going to be, you know, okay, we turned back into a pumpkin. We shouldn't have got our hopes so high. One more kind of generic question for you before we get into the game itself and make some sure. picks. Uh, Texas Tech, for better or for worse, has leaned in really hard to using analytics for in-game decision-making. And that's a word that, in my opinion, is misunderstood or misperceived, basically depending on if it works or not. And last year, we led the country in fourth down attempts on offense. It gave us an edge in games that we otherwise would not have won if we weren't that aggressive. And then this year against Oregon, we used the same exact analytics spreadsheet to make the same types of calls last year. Didn't execute. We lost the game. And the fans suddenly think that, you know, why are we paying a coach if we're just going to a computer or a spreadsheet to make these decisions? As someone who works with numbers, you know, on a daily basis from the sports betting side of college football, 
what is your kind of overall perception of the use of analytics and like do teams go overboard with it or can they still find an edge by leaning into analytics pretty hard? It's a great question. I think your edge as a coach goes away the more the in, in sports betting parlance, what you would say is the more the market buys into the analytics, the smaller your edges because you're doing the same thing that a lot of other people are doing. So from a coaching standpoint, the market would be other teams and other coaches. The more you lean into analytics, the more you have an edge as long as other people aren't doing that. But there's always going to be a gut concept. I think that's one of the things that fans probably get wrong in this conversation. Analytics inform your broad perspective on decision-making. They don't tell you, hey, it's fourth and three. We're near the edge of the field goal range, but the field goal kicker has been lousy the last three games, so let's go for it. Or, or you know, some other similar situation where maybe the analytics say one thing, but your gut might tell you to do something else. The biggest thing that fans have a problem with, in my experience, betters are the same way. Betters and fans, you can all lump them kind of into the same pot because they think the same way about something they're emotional about. The thing is, I don't know how to say this. People are dumb. I, I guess it's the easiest way to say it. I, most people are dumb most of the time. And you have to have, you have to almost change the way you think about this stuff. You have to think about it as a process where I'm putting myself in the best position statistically or analytically to succeed a majority of the time. You know, and, and all of this stuff is governed by, you know, kind of low level statistical principles like the law of large numbers. The, the thing that bothers people, I think, the, the emotional part of it is when the rubber meets the road, you're using the law of large numbers to govern one specific instance, one specific outcome. And people get upset when that outcome doesn't go their way. People play the result. They don't play the mathematical concept. And that's that's where I think the average person gets screwed up. But if you are playing the numbers, then you have to be okay with the process, even if you don't get the results you wanted from that process. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And, you know, Rob and I've had this discussion and a lot of our listeners, followers, some agree with us, some disagree with us. And the example I always use is blackjack. And you're sitting there with 16 and the dealer showing seven, you're supposed to hit and you're probably going to bust. It's probably not going to go well for you. And it might look strange to an amateur blackjack player, you know, Hey, you're really likely to bust. Why are you going to take another card here? But it is the right choice. And so I realized, you know, it looks, it looks stupid against Oregon when we went for it on fourth and two deep in our own territory, but you know, whether it was a combination of gut and analytics or strictly an analytics play, that's what the math was telling them to do. And people, like I said, they could live with it last year when those kinds of calls worked out for us a majority of the time and early returns this year, it's not working out and now they're upset about it. Um, but it's point a, being, that's a, that's a good example that you bring up the fourth and two. There's still, even with an analytics approach, there's still a human element in that decision. And I think the biggest human element is, okay, we're going to go for it on fourth and two and we're deep in our own territory, but what's the play call? What's the actual play call that you do? And, you know, I mentioned I'm a JMU alum. We played UVA a couple weeks ago. I'm in Charlottesville for the game. Yep. Shortly after halftime, it's fourth and one on JMU zone 25, and they decide they're going to go for it. I love the call. Let's be aggressive. Let's go beat those snobby Virginia people. Let's, you know, since the 81, like, yeah, let's do it. But the call that comes out of the, the coaching staff is a screen pass. They don't line up 
and just like scrum it forward Jalen Hurd style, they throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage and hope their receiver can make a play. <laughs> Excuse me. And then there's even there's even more human element in it because the quarterback makes a bad throw and throws it too high. The receiver is is not getting the ball where he wants to. Now he's got to like go up and get it and make a move. So even when you make the correct analytical call, you still have to follow it up with good human level decision making. And and that's where I think fans can be critical of the human part of it while still acknowledging maybe the the analytical part of it. And and that's pretty much I think where I landed because we called quarterback power on that fourth and two. It was the twelfth time we had called quarterback power that game. Everybody in the stadium knew it was coming, including Oregon's defense, and they stuffed it and we didn't convert. And so there's always that element like, okay, you make the decision one way or the other to punt or go or kick or not. But then you have to line up and execute if you are going to go for it. And that's where I feel like we failed. Uh, we have a comment. I challenge Kyle to come up with a different metaphor every time we discuss analytics. I won't come up with a totally different metaphor, but like you're saying, if you're counting the cards and you know for a fact that a face card is coming, then maybe you don't hit. But otherwise, if you're just vibe checking when you have 16 against a seven or higher, you're making the wrong call in the long term. It may work out for you one hand versus another. Um, but anyway, I, I'm with you that the call is one thing and then the execution is, you know, a whole other thing. And, and that's where we failed against Oregon, in my opinion. All right, let's get into the game itself. Uh, have you been impressed with Neil Brown sticking to the run when before the season he said he was going to go tempo and throw it all over the field? And you have the roster to run the ball, Neil. Just stick with it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right, Rob. It's what's the strength of the team? It's the offensive line. What's the strength of the team? It's the running game. It's the multiple running backs. It's the fact that, you know, a week ago at least, I don't know if this is going to be the case against Texas Tech, but a week ago you had a mobile quarterback who was a great added dimension to the run game. I think I think it's just doing what makes sense and is, is sensible for the roster and the personnel that you have. Yeah, and West Virginia, very well equipped to run the ball. They have a great running back, an incredibly experienced offensive line. I've seen different numbers, I think. Uh, one figure, they had 105 combined starts coming in, and then I heard somebody else say 130. Either way, um, loads of experience on the offensive line. The center, Zach Frazier, is an All-American. Uh, but Texas Tech, I, I think maybe our, our defensive ends, edge rushers, maybe leave a little bit to be desired. But I think our – Interior D-line combo is going to be one of the better tandems that Zach Frazier goes up against this year with uh, Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford. Um, any insight there into that matchup and kind of what you see from either side of the ball um, in the trenches? I think Pitt's, off, uh, Pitt's got some pretty good talent along their defensive line too, and I, I think that's probably the best comp, uh, at least from this year. Uh, it's a really experienced unit. It is – on a team that doesn't do a lot well on the Big 12 level, like you wouldn't put a lot of units up there as this is probably one of the best, if not the best units in the Big 12. I wouldn't say that about almost anything on the team. Probably would say that about the offensive line. So I, I would expect a heavy dose of the run game. I think they realize their power is in, you know, just old school projecting the strength of the offensive line running you down for a full 60 minutes and hoping that the game is close late so that you can, you know, you can lean on those guys uh, late and, and use the run game to, to succeed. Uh, defensively, the secondary was not very good last year. Has that improved with a bunch of transfers coming in? Maybe a little bit. Um, I, I think 
you know, I'm trying to think what they ranked last year. I mean, it was sub 100. It might have been sub 120. It was bad. Uh, and, and in on the macro level, have they improved? No, I mean, they're still average to below average, I would say. Uh, so I, I don't know that we're talking about making great strides here, but are, are they 5% better? Are they 8 10% better? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I still think you play a competent passing mm-hmm. attack, which I don't know if they have yet. I mean, if you play Penn State in November, I think they, you know, they, they'd be a lot scarier than Drew Aller's first college start. So I, I think when they play some of these competent pass games in the Big 12, I, I think it's going to be a long day for some of these some of these matchups. Texas Tech starting running back is averaging about 10 yards per carry in the last two games, and yet we seem allergic to feeding him. Uh, if for whatever we, reason we do decide to run the ball on Saturday, uh, tell us a little bit about West Virginia's run defense and maybe kind of how you see that matchup going. Kyle, all I think I can feel comfortable saying right now is it's better than the passing defense, but that's not saying much. Uh, you know, it's it, it's just it is what it is. Defense is not the strength of this team, and so their their idea is like very complimentary football. Let's run the ball and control time of possession because our defense is not very good. And if you have creative pass uh, play calling, if you have aggressive play calling on fourth down, like you were talking about, if you have you know, uh, a certain level of offensive balance where you can keep West Virginia's very mediocre defense off balance and not really sure what you're going to do. You want to call some passes on first down. You want to, you know, run some draws on third and 11. Like, these are all things that I think are going to trip up West Virginia's defense. So I I think a competent team that executes well is usually going to be capable of beating this team. They're not that good. It's just that is what it is. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't fire a lot of smoke when it comes to talking about my teams. They're just not that great. I think what they are going to be good at is running the ball and keeping their defense off the field. And we've seen so far against average or below average teams that can be enough. I don't know if it's going to be enough in in Big Twelve play. Uh, you alluded to uh, Garrett Green being out. Tell us about Nico and what he provides. Yeah, so. <laughs> A lot of I think the when Garrett Green went out against Pitt, I think a lot of people that maybe don't follow West Virginia, but there were a lot of people tuned in. The game was on ABC, big rivalry game. A lot of people were like, "Oh no, how's West Virginia's backup going to be?" And the thing you have to understand about you know Garrett versus Nico is it's not a huge drop off either way necessarily. They play very different styles of quarterback. Nico's more of a passer. Garrett's more of a runner. So I don't necessarily think of it as a drop-off. I just think of it as they're going to emphasize different things now in the game plan. They're going to try to throw the ball more. They might have maybe even some contrarian designed runs for Nico because that's not really what you think about when you think about his style of play. Uh, but I, I think I think it's it's not necessarily a net talent loss. It's just there's more competency in the passing game and there is less of a additional run dynamic from the quarterback position. Awesome. Um, well, do you want to make some picks for uh, some big 12 games this weekend? Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. Uh, quick question before we get into that. Um, something I did over the last year was take a pretty deep dive into TV ratings between the conferences. Like obviously the sec and big 10 got these huge contracts, but I was looking at ACC big 12 and PAC 12, to see how they stacked up. Um, is there a discernible or, or how big is the difference in a 
in a typical SEC or Big Ten conference game versus a typical Big 12 or ACC conference game, uh, in terms of like number of tickets on the spread or the total or the money line, obviously the general public is maybe just betting all over the map. But like in Louisiana, if LSU is playing Tennessee, how does that compare to something like Tech versus West Virginia? Sure. Uh, it's That's a great question. And, you know, with, without having numbers in front of me, what I could tell you is, hmm, I think the best way to say it is the, the premise of your question is wrong. Um, I wouldn't look at it from a conference standpoint. And I'm, st- I'm speaking strictly from a legal sports betting standpoint. So, like, it's no secret there's a bunch of offshore stuff, right? Right. But from a – I work for BetMGM. You know, there's, there's other companies out there that, you know, no free ads, so I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. Uh, what we have seen, what I have seen from, from inside the operation is it's not necessarily conference to conference. It's state to state. So Tennessee is an SEC state, right? There's Vanderbilt and there's Tennessee. It's also a state where sports betting is legal and regulated. And so you have a bunch of people who bet sports because there's a market for it there. You could go over to Alabama where you have two of the biggest you know, successful programs in the last 10 or 15 years, both Alabama and Auburn have won national championships over the last 10 or 15 years, but there's no legal market for it. And so it's kind of, it's, there's, there's a curtain over the state. There's not a lot of action going on there, but that's, they're both sec country. Um, And there are exceptions to that. Um, You know, West Virginia is a state where it's legal. And I would say from personal experience, culturally very accepted, uh, but it's a small state. And so there's, you know, it's a 1.8 million population. It's it's a very small percentage of what BetMGM's overall handle is. Uh, Michigan is a really big state for us, not just because it's legal, but because we, BetMGM, own a large percentage of the market share there relative to, to the other states that we're in. So it's, it, in my experience, it's not necessarily conference to conference. It's more state level to state level. And you do have, you know, regions of the country where, you know, it's more culturally conservative or culturally liberal, not a political comment, just, you know, that kind of thing matters because where is handicapping and gambling uh, more accepted and where is it maybe more seen as a little bit more taboo? I think all of those things are kind of relevant in the conversation, but I, I don't I don't know that it's necessarily conference to conference. It doesn't break down like that in my experience. Gotcha. Well, hopefully someday it'll be legal and regulated in all 50 states. And I would just be curious how the data ultimately shakes out on that uh, if and when that day comes, because I think it's another indicator of fan interest in the same way that TV eyeballs or merchandise sales can be. Um, So anyway, yeah, we'll get into some big 12 games, a couple of non-conference games on the slate. We'll start with those. Sam Houston plays at Houston. The Cougars favored by 12 and a half, relatively low total, 38 and a half. Uh, Any feel for either of those numbers? I I don't know if it's one of my strongest, uh, you know, inklings of the week, but I would take the points with Sam Houston. Uh, Sam Houston is a team I follow a lot because I used to be an FCS reporter. So I know quite a bit about Sam Houston and Casey Keeler and all the stuff that goes on down there. Um, 12 and a half is a lot of points. Sam Houston's really interesting because they redshirted a lot of guys last year. Once the announcement came out that they were moving up. And so I don't want to say they sandbagged, 
But the team has more talent than you kind of realize. I talked with Bill Steele a little bit about this uh, several weeks back, too. Uh, Houston's not very good. And uh, one, of, one, of, one of the rules is you don't lay double digits with a team that's not very good. Because, you know, if they're not very good, period, they're even worse at covering by margin. So I think there's that aspect of it. And then I think there's maybe a little bit of a big brother, little brother thing going on there where – you have to think Houston probably doesn't care very much about playing Sam Houston. You got to think those Sam Houston players really want to play Houston. That That's a guess. I have no idea. But that I, I think um, some of that stuff really matters, especially when you're catching a, a number like 12 and a half, which is an odd number. Like it's There's no big difference between 10 and a half and 12 and a half. But uh, I, I would take the points there. I kind of like kind of like Sam Houston as as maybe a dart throw. That is one of Rob's favorite angles. If if Louisiana Monroe is playing LSU, Rob is always like, hey, every kid on ULM, they wanted an offer from LSU, and so they're going to be playing with an edge. He loves that angle. Uh, the other non-conference game in, in Big 12 country, SMU at TCU, the uh, battle of the Fort Worth, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Skillet. Frogs, yeah, the skillet. Uh, Frogs favored by six and a half, and the total is 64. I have no idea why. TCU is a six and a half point favorite in this game. I would love for somebody to tell me is, is this still, I think one of the themes this week, I know we're just talking big 12 here, but when I looked at a lot of the national odds, I was a little surprised by some of the numbers. It kind of felt like they were being handicapped off of preseason reputation. And this to me looks like preseason number 17 TCU is a six and a half point favorite. I don't know what, from the first three weeks of football we've seen that TCU should be laying almost a touchdown against a good SMU team, arguably like the best team in the American ACC bound Southern Methodist rivalry game. And you're giving them six and a half points. It just sounds, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't like that number for TCU. So not only do I like SMU plus the six and a half, I would probably take a shot with the money line. Cause I think this is going to be a very competitive game. Do you think TCU is getting some credit for Colorado being not nearly as bad as people thought uh, going into week one when they were 21-point dogs to TCU? Yeah. I, I mean, people, especially in college football, people play these dumb reindeer games, right, where it's, okay, let's go back and replay that game in our head. Wow, we thought TCU was bad because they lost to Colorado, but now Colorado is good, so that must mean TCU is better than we thought. I It's there's so much fake logic thrown into things when oftentimes it's just a game. They lined up and they played a game and that's the data point that you got. And if they played it on Sunday instead of Saturday, you would have gotten a totally different outcome. Maybe TCU would have won by 30. Maybe Colorado would have won by 20. Maybe it would have been nine to six in overtime. Probably not. Uh, it's it's just the the way we go back and replay results is, is really fascinating. I think from a psychology of handicapping standpoint. So I, I do think that is part of what's happening here. Like it's, it's, they've been now forgiven because of what Colorado has done when in reality, TCU lost a ton from last year's team. Like, and, and I don't know how more people didn't understand this coming off of last season. Like th this was not going to be a run it back TCU team that was going to compete for another playoff spot. Like, they're they're not a top twenty five team. They never were. So, uh, yeah, I think six and a half is a is a pretty hefty number to lay in this spot. I heard some pretty 
interesting commentary on how their receiving core would somehow be better without a first round pick and that the drop off without the Heisman runner up wouldn't be that bad, but I I don't know. Uh, So this game might be, we might look back on this in late November. This might decide last place in the big 12. And by the way, I'm curious your thoughts on this, how in the world you handicap a game like this, but Oklahoma state goes to Ames Um, cyclones after losing to Ohio are three and a half point favorites. And the total is 36 and a half. Can I tell you, I love this game and I'm betting this game. <laughs> you sicko. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's full sicko. It's absolutely right. One of my rules is if you see a college football total in the 30s, you have to bet the under. You just have to do it. Because it's like, I mean, it's it's like seeing it's like seeing a unicorn. Like they just outside of Army Navy, it's pretty rare. And it's an automatic under for me. And I, I've, I've, I've done this segment a million times on my podcast, but it's like, if you, everybody knows college football has lots of offense. So if you hang a number in the thirties, you know, you're going to take action on the over and they do it anyway. And this number, this isn't like they hung it at 45 and it came down. They hung this in this neighborhood. You know, you're going to take action on the over. They do it anyway. You know, you're going to be underwater on the tickets. They do it anyway. So just the fact that the number exists suggests an under. That's kind of how I look at these numbers. And I love the under 36 and a half. I can't wait to do it. One of, my, one of my first times ever sports betting, I was in Las Vegas for the the infamous Cheez-It Bowl game between TCU and Cal. I'm sure you remember it. And the total was something like 34 and a half or 36 and a half. And I Sitting there, I'm like, that's like 20 to 17. Like, of course that's going to go over. Like, you know, these dumbasses, why would they set it so low? And so I bet the over like a sucker. And, of course, it goes under. Yeah. And, yeah, now, like, that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If it's in the 30s, just take the under. Um, that's fine. Now, I will offer, you can you can go overboard. I still think it's an automatic bet, right? I, I still stand by the rule. But just because something is an automatic bet doesn't mean it's automatic. And I think when you look at... Both teams have ugly offenses, and now everybody knows it. They're combined 6-0 and to the under. Like, when does the market start to price itself out? Like, There's an argument that that's what's happening here. I just don't care, and I'm betting the under anyway. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Um, this is an interesting matchup, I think, kind of jockeying for position in the middle of the conference. BYU and Kansas both start the year 3-0. and uh, BYU is going to Lawrence, and uh, they're getting 8 and a half with the total at 54 and a half. So I have, um, I have kind of opposing thoughts on this game. I, I know BYU just beat Arkansas. I just don't think they're very good. Um, Arkansas has a weird game. I mean, Arkansas's defense has been a huge liability for a couple years now. Um, so I, I, look, the bottom line is I'm taking BYU plus the points. I feel like they can go power and go at Kansas and Kansas's defense is, is going to, you know, struggle to get off the field and, and you can keep it close that way. still think I'd probably take Kansas in like a pick em league, but if you're giving me north of a touchdown with BYU, I, I think because of what their game plan is going to be and going after the Kansas defense, I'll take the points. Uh, I, I think you said it right. Like this is a middle of the pack game. I don't, it, which is interesting because they're how many four, no, uh, how many, Three no teams are there left in the Big Twelve? Four UCF. Those two plus UCF, Texas, and OU. Yeah, so I mean, it, there's not a ton of three and O teams left, so you would think this game would be 
maybe a little bit higher profile than it is, but I, I'm not sure either of these teams are all that good. I think Kansas' defense is a mortal liability, and I'm far from sold on BYU. Yeah, I noticed BYU did not get a ton of credit for – I mean, it, fan perception-wise, yeah, it was treated like a huge win, and, and it should be. And, you know, they go on the road in Fayetteville, but those same kind of public analytics models, they didn't really give BYU yeah. a big boost. They're still kind of toward the bottom half of the Big 12. So um, big noon kickoff is going to Nippert Stadium. OU is laying 14.5 on the road in Cincinnati. Total is 57.5, and, and I think OU is one of – maybe only five or 10 teams in the country that is three and zero against the number so far this season. Yes, uh, that is correct. They are three and zero against the number. I don't have a feel for this game. Um, definitely. I'm not going to be betting it. Uh, I would maybe take uh, if you, if you're the type that likes to take a, you know, build a money line parlay. I think I would maybe throw Oklahoma in there. If you're doing some kind of seven or eight team, you know, behemoth, but other than that, no, no uh, actual real life side on this. I would probably lay it with Oklahoma. The problem is, I mean, we were talking about not knowing what to do with West Virginia's schedule. I don't know what the hell you're supposed to do with this Oklahoma schedule. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock into the games they've played, but I also think Cincinnati's maybe the worst team in the conference. So I would, I would, if I had to, I would lay the 14 and a half with Oklahoma. A quick follow-up. You've said a couple times, either you're betting a game or you're not betting a game. How does sports betting work when you're an employee of a sports book? Yeah, uh, there's different rules based on what state you're in because you have the state regulators and then you have the industry regulators. My, I'm here in Virginia. I live in Richmond um, in the city. So, and, and I work fully remote because BetMGM is, uh, is based in Jersey City. So my rules are basically I can't bet at BetMGM. That's pretty much it. So I can take my business to any other legal sports book and and bet there. And that is what I do. I like to think of it as, you know, because obviously I've I've done this for a little while. Like I think I'm pretty good at it. I, I, you know, grind out a nice little profit. I'm just taking the margins of our competitors. That's what I like to think of it as. They they pay me out and I'm taking their margin. Gotcha. I didn't know if you got like an employee discount or, you know, you got some juiced odds at BetMGM or anything like that. It would be a very big problem if I placed a wager at BetMGM yeah. that way, and it it sucks because uh, they did. Uh, and I'm not a, I'm not a company shill, so I don't say everything that BetMGM does is awesome. But they do they did have a great NFL promotion where they were doing a a free survivor pool. It was free to enter, and the uh, the, the purse was a hundred grand. And I was like, ooh, I would love to get into that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh- so this game I, I find interesting. I think these are two teams besides Texas and OU that are jockeying for, um, you know, kind of that next tier in the conference that's trying to earn a spot in the championship game. UCF going on the road in Manhattan against Kansas State, coming off a loss to Mizzou. Wildcats favored by five. I'm not sure their quarterback situation right now, and the total is 52 and a half. Yeah, uh, so what I've seen is Will Howard is – Formally tagged as questionable, trending toward not playing. No idea if that ends up being the case. It could be, I could be wrong, but that's what I've read. So you've got no, maybe no Will Howard. You've definitely got no John Reese Plumley for UCF. So I'm actually surprised the total for this game is is as high as it is. I'm surprised it's up in the 50s. This this would be a 40s for me. I mean, Kansas State, there's an off chance they might have to go to their third string guy, I think I've read. So this is under for me all the way. I know the spread is coming down. Kansas State opened as a bigger favorite, and the line is moving toward UCF. 
I think I understand that line movement and I probably agree with it. Uh, and if you can get it maybe north of the four, I think there's an argument to be made there. But I think the thing that I feel most confident about is the, is the under, because I think this is just going to be ugly offense, classic Kansas State home game defense, probably pissed off after a dumb 61-yard field goal Missouri made. So this this be an under for me first and foremost. Texas is laying 15 on the road in Waco against a Baylor team that has been pretty disappointing so far this season, also playing with a backup quarterback. Total is 51 and a half. This is one of those matchups that they've got a 100-plus year history and it's probably going to be ruined by conference realignment. I doubt they'll play each other in the non-con. But uh, any any thoughts on this one with Texas minus 15 and the total at 51 and a half? No real life bet for me. Uh, it's it's a big number. You understand why it's a big number. It's a team that's been really disappointing against a team that won in Tuscaloosa two weeks ago. Uh, so it's kind of like the Oklahoma situation. Not that Baylor is as bad as Cincinnati, but it's like that in that if I had to take a position, I feel more comfortable laying the points with the team that I fully understand, which is Texas. But Baylor can turn it on in any moment, I feel like, because they're under they're underperforming against expectations so badly. And that's that's what really would scare me off for this, is that how much of this, you know, the argument for Baylor is they haven't played to expectations. And if they if they get some positive regression toward the mean, you've just handed them north of two touchdowns, and that's pretty dangerous. So definitely a no play. But if I had to, I would lay it with Texas. Then of course the last one, Texas Tech on the road in Morgantown. This one's moved all the way to six, and I think it opened at circa uh, Texas Tech minus three, so a, a not insignificant line movement there. And curious for your thoughts on maybe why that's the case. And uh, the total is right now 55. My guess is that the people who are very smart and whose money ends up moving the lines saw the West Virginia outcome against Pitt and thought, yeah, that's, that's nice, but... I mean, congrats on beating a really shitty team by 11 points or whatever, but we still think you are not very good. And Texas Tech has, has maybe, you know, they've been flawed through the first three weeks, but they're also not bad. So that would be my guess. Um, in terms of handicapping where the number is right now, I think it, at three points, I understand what the argument is for Tech. I think at six or seven points, I think the value is clearly on the West Virginia side. Tech, and you guys would know better than me, so you know you you tell me off if you think I'm wrong here. I don't think of Tech as a team that plays super well outside of Lubbock. I think of Tech as a team that's really supercharged in its home games and doesn't necessarily play all that great on the road. Morgantown's a tough place to play to begin with. West Virginia often plays up to competition in home games because of that. Uh, I actually looked up how many times Texas Tech has been a road favorite for the last three years. I think it's one time, and it was Kansas in 2021. So who even cares about that? It was Kansas in 2021. Like Everybody was a favorite in Lawrence in 2021. Uh, back before we cared about Kansas football, the, the days of yesteryear. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the value is on the West Virginia side after the line movement. That would be my guess. Um, not... I'm not sold they can win, but I think if you're giving me a fat money line north of two to one, I'd, I'd throw a dart at it. All right. Those are the big 12 picks. Thanks for joining us, Chase. Uh, tell the people where they can find you, what they can listen to, and where they can see your work. Yeah, at Chase A. Kitty on Twitter, uh, Lions Edge Podcast. Uh, there's a 
Twitter account for the podcast. There's an Instagram account for the podcast. There's a TikTok account for the podcast because we got to keep up with the kids. You know, we, we got to keep up with the kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a fun little podcast I do for MGM. Uh, or I should say BetMGM because they're not the same thing. Uh, it's not the biggest podcast in the world, but, you know, we do we do okay. And uh, I, would, I would say the pitch for the podcast is uh, really positive data analysis and uh, handicapping for for the NFL, for tennis. I am just lights out on tennis picks. I would love to meet somebody that's better at women's tennis handicapping than me because I haven't yet. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of college football, NFL, college basketball. Uh, and, you know, I have, because I'm not a podcast sponsored by BetMGM, I am a BetMGM podcast. I work for the company. So I have you know, access to some pretty cool numbers that I can share on the show. And it's, you know, it's a nice little, nice little show that uh, I think you should stop by if you got a free 20 or 30 minutes on a Wednesday or Thursday. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, best of luck on Saturday, but maybe not too much. Yeah. (laughs) Right back at you guys. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Chase. Yeah. Anytime. There's Chase Kitty from the Lions Edge podcast, 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 podcast. Uh, from Bet MGM, uh, Kyle, lots of good content there. Uh, already the comments here. Bring this guy back. That was a great interview. Interesting content. Uh, love talking kind of behind the curtain on some betting lines and information. Um, used to get our friend from Bovada on. Uh, maybe this guy's the new the new Bovada insider. Yeah, the Bet MGM insider, and hopefully someday, God willing. Sports betting is legal and regulated in Texas, and we will need a sports book to partner with. And uh, yeah, I, I love that conversation. Great insights. You know, we, I, I think the only thing we, we can really compare it to is when we talk to Tech Hoops guy, who's a pretty sharp better, and you know, he knows the industry and everything. We've never talked to somebody, like you said, on the other side of the curtain that is taking bets uh, in some capacity. So I found that fascinating, and he had some really good intel and insights there for for the tech game and the other big 12 games. So I, I enjoyed that conversation a lot. All right. Uh, you ready for a mailbag or do you want to talk a little West Virginia, Texas tech some more? Um, are we going to make big 12 picks ourselves? We can. Okay. I figured we would get to it at that point. Uh, we do have a couple ad reads to maybe get to. Yeah. Let's do that first. And then we'll give a mailbag. Uh, the only thing I maybe enjoyed more than that conversation is a plate for Hino barbecue courtesy of our friends out in Olton, 45 minutes outside of Lubbock. Hit them up on social media at Rahino BBQ or visit their website, RahinoBBQ.com. You can place your order ahead of time there so you can beat the lines when you arrive. The Rahino Marketplace is now open seven days a week and uh, brick and mortar open four days a week. They'll have the food truck in Lubbock every now and then. So like I said, follow them on social to check out that schedule. And thank you to Rahino Barbecue for their support of the podcast. All right. Ready for the mailbag? Yes, the Matador Transit mailbag. Let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? 
Uh, what would you do if an F-35 showed up in your backyard? I would first, well, I wouldn't recognize it as an F-35. It would just look like aircraft to me. Sure. And so I would investigate for aliens. And if I find anything interesting, I'm probably hiding it. And, uh, or, you know, not hiding the jet, but hiding the fact that it's in my backyard in some form or fashion. And sitting on that, trying to figure out maybe how I can monetize that for some sort of purpose but are you uh, digging a hole back there you don't have a lot of a barn or anything that you're i'm not i'm not handing an 80 million dollar jet back to the government like hey guys it landed right here here you go i'm i'm seeing if there's aliens or something on board you think aliens are flying a f-35 like i said i wouldn't know an f-35 from fair enough any other combination of letters and numbers like if you told me the flyover next weekend is a jj280 i'd be like oh sweet that's I have no idea. Are you familiar with the movie Ratatouille? Yeah, I watched most of that movie with my nephews a couple weeks ago when I was in Lubbock for the Oregon game. Okay, do you do you remember this, the flashback scene? It's toward the end. I don't know that you got there if you watched most of it. Yeah, I don't think we got all the way to the conclusion. All right, so there's a scene where he takes a bite of food and it flashes back to his childhood. The question is, what food meal gives you Anton Ego flashbacks from uh, Ratatouille? So what takes you back to your childhood? I don't know if I experience that with um, taste, but I do experience that with smell all the time. And like in totally different places. Like So the Fort Worth City Hall smells just like my freshman college dorm room. And it's like I'm walking down the stairs and I'm like, it's like I'm a freshman in college again. It's yeah. bizarre. And if I walked into my elementary school and it smelled the same, like I would recognize it from 25 years ago. But I don't really, I don't think I've had that with a food item. We had some foods that we ate like exclusively. We had a rotation as kids. The, there's a thing called the barbecue puff. It's just a biscuit with some barbecue meat in it. That would take me back because I haven't had it in 20 years. We just ate it as kids. Yeah, I think maybe if I had something like a, this would be a good one. So when I went on um, youth group trips in the summers as like a middle schooler, we would have these cinnamon rolls like in a plastic bag, you know, kind of like a honey bun, but a cinnamon roll. And if I ate one of those for the first time in 20-ish years, it would probably take me back to something like that. Uh, This question is a do you agree question. Uh, Lamborghini CTO says customers need a supercar that can carry a mountain bike. Do you agree? I don't think so. No. If you, you can, af- if you, yeah. If you can afford a Lambo, you can also afford a Forerunner or something else to carry your bike on. I was about to say, you can afford a Lambo. You can get a, get a Subaru. Oh, let's see. More likely to win a football game. Start bench cut. Four verts every play. Iowa State's offense, Oklahoma State's offense. Well, we'll get an answer uh, to two of those three on Saturday. I, I actually – so I think Iowa State's offense could be marginally better if they abandon the run. And this is coming from Mr. Run the Damn Ball. But they were they averaged like one yard per carry and like maybe like five-ish per pass. So they should have gone away from the run sooner when they lost to Ohio. But – I think, honestly, four verts. If it's not there, you run it or check it down. 
maybe get some PI, maybe a guy comes open, wins a jump ball. I'm starting four verts, benching Iowa State, cutting Oklahoma State with the opportunity to be proven wrong on Saturday. I think I'm with you there. I think I'm with you there. Uh, how many wins in a row does Joey stack on top of Gundy going forward? I don't see Gundy beating Joey. I don't know how many times they play. That's what I, I think if Gundy stays two more years and you play them both years, I think you'll probably win both those games. I, I would add the caveat, like barring some drastic change at Oklahoma State, but Gundy's been there 20 years. He's not going to. He's not going to change now. Like he, he even credited South Alabama's team. He was like, yeah, they're just there to play football, not cash NIL checks. That's why they beat us. And it's like, dude, like believe that or not, that is not the direction any of this is headed. So adapt or die. Did you see the message board genius post uh, saying most of the team was going to quit in uh, the weekend after this game? I mean, they quit all off season. How many players did they lose? They quit last year. Yeah. So good. I know that that account exists to like dunk on stupid takes. I'm not saying the whole team's going to quit, but like, would I be shocked if they had a mass exodus of sorts? No. Especially, had, especially four, four, four games is critical because those guys, if they want a red shirt, they need to peace out. Yeah. After Saturday. Yeah. Didn't think about that. Uh, could a team made up of 10 average dads, 30 to 40 years old, beat an average high school varsity team if Patrick Mahomes was the quarterback? I, I would need a little bit of clarification on average high school team. Because seven man to like DeSoto is... Six man. Yeah, sorry. Uh, six man to DeSoto or Alito, even though I think Alito is only five, like, or Allen when Kyler Murray was there. Like there's a huge, there's such a wide spectrum. I would need clarification on what an average... Let's say a, a 4A playoff team. Patrick Mahomes and some average dads. I think so, but only because of Patrick Mahomes. I think he would just run over 4A kids. Like, yeah. it wouldn't be because of the dads helping him catch passes or block or anything. I just think Pat would probably run for 250 yards and, and win the game. Fair enough. Uh, when I was a – when I was in – okay, this is not <laughs> – <laughs> um, so I'm not going to ask you that really. uh, Describe your perfect pizza Toppings, crust style, sauce, etc I err on the side of a thinner crust Not a deep dish guy It doesn't need to be like cracker thin uh, I'm not opposed to that But just in between that And kind of your standard pizza So like a, a thin-ish crust Um don't need anything fancy on the cheese. Just your, your typical mozzarella cheese spread is good with me. Pepperoni. Some bacon bits. Some jalapenos. Grilled onions. And Italian sausage. But don't go overboard with either meat choice. Because then it just becomes meat lovers. And I don't want that either. Little bit of little bit of each of those ingredients would go a long way on a pizza like that. And then maybe like some... Frank's Red Hot on top or something like that. That sounds like a good pie. Yeah. I've been going uh, simple with like a pepperoni green chili lately. Okay. Have you ever had the – I, I think like it's – more than two toppings. 
Yeah, yeah. Too many toppings can be a detriment. That's why I say just kind of like a little bit. Yeah. Um, have you ever had the green chili chicken pizza at Orlando's? No free ads. Oh yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's classic. Uh, could the Chiefs win the Super Bowl with Pat Mahomes and a selection of picadors at wide receiver? <laughs> no. Kelsey's still a tight end. Well, I mean, that's basically what he's tasked with doing this year. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, do you think the NCAA and college football should move the hash marks tighter to match the NFL? Not quite to match, but they should bring him in a little bit, in my opinion. A couple of feet. Yeah, maybe. Or even just like split the difference. Make it easy. I'm in. Uh, I, have, I have wondered this. Is it harder to kick in college because you're kicking from a hash that's outside the goalpost? I would say closer to the closer to the end zone, yeah. Like in the NFL, even if you're at the widest point available to snap the ball, you're exactly in line with the upright, correct? Pretty straight. I don't I don't know if that's ever talked about. Like if a, if a guy hits 85% in college, wouldn't you think he could hit 90% in the pros by just always being not a straight line, but not having to kick it sideways just to get it inside the nearest. Well, I think upright. you see that a lot. Like you see a 90% NFL kicker and they're like, he was a 72% kicker in college. It's like, what? Hmm. Like Austin Seibert was 80%. And so, college teams, maybe even NFL teams to some extent, they'll snap the ball, not directly back. Like they'll have the holder set up two yards inside the hash. Uh, if the ball is placed on the hash to try to, I think, mitigate some of that effect. Yeah. But anyway, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? I was asked this at work, and apparently this is a TikTok trend. Yeah, I I said once a month, and it got this like huge react. They were like, "What?" And they're like, "When do you think about the Roman Empire?" And I was like, "Well, uh, if you go to church, you know the the Roman government is brought up in the scripture and just like stories related to the gospel. Um, not every sermon, but like if you go to church twice a month, maybe it comes up once." Um, and then, like, in my line of work, politics, there's a lot of history and, like, our system, even our government architecture, uh, like pillars that you would see at the Supreme Court building or somewhere like that in Washington, D.C., is architecture that we borrowed from the Romans. And so there's, like, philosophers and stuff that I like to quote or think about quotes by Roman philosophers that relate to uh, politics and public policy. So I said about once a month, but I don't know how accurate that is. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I ever think about the Roman Empire just out of nowhere. No, but like it's it's referenced in movies or songs or sure. like I, I heard a song um I think it's just called Higher Than the Vulcan. And I was like, What's a Vulcan? And so I Googled it and apparently that's either Greek mythology or Roman mythology. So without knowing it, like that was a reference to a mythological figure. So I don't know. I just started thinking about it. I was like, well, if you see these Caesar's Palace commercials. It's a Vulcan, not from Star Trek. Yeah, so that's all. I don't think the song is about. I I saw that result, too, and I Googled it. But it's like a love song. I was like, I don't think he's talking about Star Trek here. Okay. Is there a line about logic in there? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Tony Romo or Eli Manning? Eli, baby, all day. Tony. Why? Because he was better. At what? 
playing quarterback. How do you know? So they played against each other a bunch. Were there were there any big games that Tony Romo won that where he demonstrated his superior ability to throw the football? Yeah, and he was great in the fourth quarter. Way better than Eli. Okay, that's just ridiculous. You're just Eli had up. one throw. Eli had one throw in a Super Bowl, and you're acting like he's a Hall of Famer. You're straight up lying. He had at least two throws in the Super Bowl, probably oh, three. Okay. He hit Manningham. That defense, that defense won those Super Bowls, and you cannot argue otherwise. I think the defense was good. The defense was a Hall of Fame level. The defense was good enough to get them a wild card spot. Like, where was that they defense all year? Because Eli Manning sucked. <laughs> yeah. How many other quarterbacks with two Super Bowl rings sucked? Well, how good was that defense? That's what I'm saying. I think I think you're coping a little you're bit. You're saying Brad Jansen's a good quarterback because he won a Super Bowl? Trent Dilfer? No, 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 I think one Super Bowl you can kind of go, okay, down year on the on the other side, the AFC, the NFC, or he had a good defense. Two Super Bowls is that's a little too coincidental. If you tell me, me you have to win one game and I get one of those quarterbacks, I would take Romo. Oh, it's Eli. Easily. How many playoff games did Tony Romo win? He didn't play in a bunch. Why didn't he play in a bunch? Because the team was bad. The team was bad. Okay, Terrell Owens, Jason Witten, Marion Barber. Yeah, 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 yeah. Felix Jones, they sucked, right? No, the no. They didn't. Demarcus Ware, just a scrub. Kyle, I would take Tony Romo. I've seen clutch before, and I've seen Tony Romo fumble a snap to lose a playoff game. Eli Manning threw Two Super Bowls. 100 interceptions in clutch moments. He also won two Super Bowls in clutch moments. He has as many Super oh, Bowls as Romo has individual playoff game wins. I'm setting off my Siri here. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. And he did uh, a throw to Mario Manningham. Versus Chicago and a couple other games. Yeah, he threw like five picks against the Bills and they still won. They won despite Tony Romo. Not, yeah. not because of. Despite? In spite? Uh, let's see. Which Texas Tech legend is most likely to join the FBI post-playing career? Have you seen this? Peanut Tillman is uh, joining the FBI. I saw that he was with the FBI and that he reported the Bears defensive coordinator for something. And then 30 minutes later, I saw Ian Rappaport say none of that is true. But to answer your question, Tony Bradford is the only one I know who explicitly wants to go into law enforcement. Uh, Justice Nelson is a police officer. True. I was thinking current team. I didn't know if that was a parameter in the question or not. Um, Texas Tech legend. I'm going to go with Tony Bradford. I think he'd make a good good FBI agent. Fair enough. What are you uh, laughing at? Well, some comments over here. And also, you're not classifying uh, Justice Nelson as a legend. <laughs> you just moved on from that pretty quick. No, I just – Tony Bradford has, like, been – Profiled about how he wants to be a police chief someday. And yeah. I, I had class with Justice Nelson. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in uh, grad school. I guess he was probably like a senior, but he was in grad school with me. Uh, let's see. Favorite three traditions from other Big 12 schools? Eat shit pit. It's got to be up there. The song. Are you uh like a like a wabash cannonball cannonball cannon bash kind of guy? I like the wabash cannonball. 
I love Oklahoma State's Spirit Rider. I love their Orange Power chant. I love their pistols firing hand sign. Uh, they they have a lot of great traditions. I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. So many great traditions. Um, no, but really, I, I I like the Wabash Cannonball. I like Country Roads, and um, this might sound strange, but I looked up the definition of the word tradition when I was making a list of every Big Twelve school's best tradition. I think you could put Jack Trice in that category. And so I think that would round out my top three. Uh, just so happens to coincide with my three favorite Big 12 schools that aren't Texas Tech. So maybe I'm maybe I'm biased there. But like, I don't know, Baylor. I think the Baylor line is a little bit dorky. I don't know if TCU has any notable traditions. Kansas waves the wheat. Yeah. Oklahoma State stole all of theirs. So, yeah, I'll go with Country Roads, Jack Trice, and the Wabash Cannonball. But excited to maybe see some new traditions among the newcomers that we're perhaps not familiar with yet. I'm uh, anti-paddle, just to set the record straight. I hate those paddles. They didn't get that one from us. No, they did not. Uh, that's the mailbag. Shout, the mailbag. Out, shout out to Matador Transit. Matador Transit. Um, you want to do some Big Twelve picks? Yeah. Do we have anything else? I think we're good. All right. Do you want me to go fish yeah, for these I, lines? Uh, Brandon Sarch Sharshit says uh, TCU's weird ass chant: the riff, riff, ram, boom, ball, zippy, uh, zippy zoo, lickety, lickety, zoo, zoo. Beautiful. Ooh, wah, wah, hoo. Um, so do you want me to go fish for these lines? Yeah, do you have them up still? Or do you want me to do you want me to get them? Yeah, no, I, I fished for them and caught them. Oh. I know what I want to fish for. <laughs> I want to go wade fishing in the legendary Baffin Bay. Uh with uh, Reckham Outdoors, Reckham Outdoors online and on Instagram, Reckham Outdoors has some great fish picks. Uh, some of my favorite picks, fish picks. Uh, you just hold them up like that. I'm gonna Photoshop a fish in here later. It'd be a great Photoshop, uh, but they don't have to Photoshop because they catch great fish in the legendary Baffin Bay, wading out directly into the water, getting some fish on the line. What a better feeling! Than being out there with some bros doing some wade fishing in legendary Baffin Bay. Uh, it's all West Texas, but if you're on the coast of Texas, call up Captain Preston Long and the Wreckham Outdoors people. They can get you set up. We can kind of rapid fire most of these until we get to tech since we already got some great analysis from Chase. We'll start with the toilet bowl here. Oklahoma State plus three and a half in Ames. Under. Under. <laughs> I like that rule of thumb because yeah. a lot of people see 30s and they go, oh, yeah, surely they can get to the over. They probably don't. Um, I guess I'll say Oklahoma State plus three and a half, but it might be 10 to seven. I mean, really. BYU plus eight and a half in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, I've got BYU on this one. I think that's a lot of points to cover, and they just did it against uh, Arkansas. I think Kansas and Arkansas are similar. 
Yeah, like I said with Chase, they apparently got like zero credit for winning at Arkansas. And I'm sure Arkansas is flawed. I get it. To get more than a touchdown, though, in this spot, I, I like that. I'll trail you there and say Cougars plus eight and a half. SMU plus six and a half at TCU. He thought this line was absurd. Do you agree with him? Uh, yeah, now that he said that, I, I agree with his reasoning. Uh, I didn't think much of it before I would pick TCU in this line. Um, but I just, I think I'm just biased. I don't think much of SMU and it would be hilarious for them to buy their way into a power conference, quote unquote, a power conference, and then get hammered by TCU. It would just be funny to me to raise $200 million in a week and then get hammered by TCU. That would be funny. And the TCU accounts that we follow on Twitter would have a field day. Um, I'm going to go with SMU plus six and a half as like an emotional hedge against that. Because if, if TCU wins, it'll be fun on Twitter. Um, but just in case they don't, give me SMU plus six and a half. Big noon kickoff, OU is uh, taking their last trip to Cincinnati as a member of the Big 12, historic rivalry here. Sooners are laying 14 and a half, and the total is 57 and a half. Yeah, I'll take the Sooners here. I don't think Cincinnati's very good. They beat Pitt by six as well. Um, I think Pitt is really bad. Yeah, I thought that win looked impressive at the time. I was like, hey, they went on the road and beat a Power 5 opponent. That's more than I thought they could do this season. And then I saw Pitt against West Virginia. I was like, holy cow, how did they – ever score so yeah Sooners 3-0 against the spread I don't love the hook but kind of like until they don't cover I guess I'll just keep taking them UCF plus four and a half at Kansas State this line moved half a point since we gave it to Chase so should have gotten in sooner if you uh if you wanted the points but uh yeah spread is four and a half total 52 and a half Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a feeling on this one. Over? Give me the over. I, would, I wouldn't touch this in real life either without knowing Will Howard's status. I, I guess I lean Kansas, Kansas State. I think they're the better team, and I think they can get there at home. But Are they going to just release the backup? Because he looks electric. He's yeah. small, yeah. but... He looks electric. They might not have a choice. Um, maybe they go two quarterback with some some like running sets with Avery Johnson and then allow their other guy to get some drives or throw it, but maybe they just hand the keys to Avery Johnson. I don't know. I think that's his name, Avery Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Texas minus 15 at Baylor, total 51 and a half. Uh, give me Baylor. It's a big 12 game. Um, early, they look like they are awful. Baylor does. I think Texas could uh, absolutely overlook them here in a spot. Maybe looking ahead to next week. Yeah, again, I don't love this pick. I could totally see what you're saying playing out. I took Texas in the pick em group. I guess I'll just stay with that so I'm not talking out both sides of my mouth. Sam Houston State at Houston. Do you even care enough to make a pick or do you want me to just uh, again, under. 
Okay. I'll pick them to cover because if they don't, automatic dub next weekend. Okay, Tech West Virginia. We kind of covered a decent amount of that with Chase. Any additional thoughts before we get to the picks? Yeah, I hope. Uh... <laughs> don't get too excited there, Rob. <laughs> I hope that uh, that you can stop the run. I hope that they try to run the ball a lot, and I think this is a quick game. Um, but I just have a feeling it's going to be close. Uh, I don't know why. If you cover, I think you cover late, um, maybe with a defensive play in a short field. And I think Gino Garcia is going to be a big deal. Honestly, this game feels a lot like going to Laramie to me. It's a long ways from home. It's a tough place to play. You're playing a team that wants to play ball control, grind it out. You're probably better than them, but they can easily beat you if they allow their style of play to prevail. Throwing out the Duquesne game and the Tarleton State game, and I thought Chase had good insight about how not all FCS opponents are created equal, but just against FBS competition, uh, Texas Tech, average turnover margin, Per game is minus one and a half. West Virginia plus one and a half. Um, plays per game. We run 78. West Virginia runs 65 and a half. That's pretty significant. That's like two full drives, maybe three drives. You beat them in yards per play, yards per rush, yards per pass, all of it. Uh, they run the ball two-thirds of the time. You only run it 41% of the time, and a lot of that is Tyler Shuck scrambling, as we know. Less than that even is handing the ball off to your first string running back. Uh, they have not thrown an interception against an FBS opponent. About 5% of our passes are getting picked off. That's one out of every 20. That That's a first half in our offense. Wow. Um, let's see. Some other ones that jumped out at me. Third down conversion percentage. We're hitting 50% against FBS competition. They're only hitting 31%. So that's going to be critical. Um, I think that's most of the like stark differences that I wanted to point out. Yeah, I think that covers it. But I, this, this line opened where we thought it would. On Gaucho's After Dark, sponsored by Barnett, Howard, and Williams, we thought two and a half, three, and it was, it was three at circa. Moving to six or maybe even six and a half, some places really scares me. I don't think we're built to cover that. Um, Joey McGuire has one win on the road in his time at Texas Tech. However, we've covered on the road. You had a really snug cover against Oklahoma State last year. I don't think you covered against Kansas State, but it was snug. You beat Iowa State as a two-and-a-half, two-point underdog. I think in Raleigh, the final scores, I think you failed to cover by two or three points. All that to say, you've been more or less pretty close to chalk relative to the spread, even though you've only won one game straight up. So that actually does give me a little bit of optimism. And Chase pointed out that, okay, we've only been favored on the road once in the last three years. Well, that kind of speaks to maybe how bunk the statistic is that we only have one road win under McGuire. Like when you line up as a 
eight or ten point dog on the road, you're usually not going to win that game. Right. So I don't know. I'm I'm sort of trying to rationalize in my head and talking out of both sides of my mouth. Like you're getting a lot of respect, way more respect than you ever get on the road. And so far in the Joey McGuire, you've gone pretty much chalk relative to the spread on the road. But I don't know. I think that I think the crowd in Morgantown is going to be a factor. You know, he said hope is a dangerous thing for a, a program that isn't very good. But energy is good for a fan base and momentum is good for players. I got to tell you, I don't love this spot at all. I, I'm not confident that we can go into an environment like that. And even against a, a below average team, like Chase was saying, just execute well enough to win the game by more than a touchdown. Um, I don't think we'll cover the six. I don't think we'll win, to be honest with you. I think we could. I see this game being ugly, like Laramie. I think it'll go under. I predicted 27 to 24 West Virginia on a West Virginia podcast, and I think I'm going to stick with that. So did I. At pretty much the same time. I just – Oh, except I have Texas Tech winning. Yeah. I mean, I think if it was at home, I would feel differently about it. Yeah. If if West Virginia's style of play was more like the old Neil Brown and not run it two-thirds of the time like you should Neil Brown, I would feel better about it. But I'm just – I'm trying to think through a scenario where they don't drag us into the mud with their style of play and it's 13 to 10 at halftime and it's just a the kind of ball game that you don't want to be in, just like in Laramie. Like I, I just don't see us really thriving in that sort of game, that sort of environment. Isn't their style of play kind of what we want the Red Raider offense to be with Tyler Shuck? Yeah, I was thinking through it. So I think of your run game, Taj should get two-thirds of it. Shuck should get one-third of it. So if you throw the ball 40% of the time and run at 60, that would be close to like, okay, 45% Taj, 15 or 20% Shuck, and, you know, 40-ish percent throwing the ball. And maybe that's too run-heavy. I don't know. And you can massage those numbers based on, you know, what unfolds during the game. But, yeah, like I, I would love to at least get to 50-50. And if you're running the ball half the time, I don't want it to be the quarterback on 75% of those snaps. I do think that what makes West Virginia good, their offensive line, we can hopefully neutralize a little bit with our interior defensive linemen. I, I think that's a – you know, if this was a cliff team with a couple cliff defensive tackles going up against Zach Frazier, I'd be like, yeah, they're going to 2014 Arkansas and just – run it up the gut for eight yards per carry. Right. I'm nervous about the inside linebacker depth behind that, you know, if they are able to get to the second level. But you've been pretty good against running backs. Like, I think quarterbacks are averaging more yards per carry against you in in the two FBS games than the running backs are. And so if Garrett Green doesn't go, uh, I think Nico is semi-mobile, but not at the same level that Garrett Green is. So, yeah, all that to say, I think Garrett Green would actually be the worst – matchup for you of the two quarterbacks, even if Nico is the better passer. So uh, anyway, I've sort of talked myself in circles there and rambled a little bit. I can see it going either way, but I I don't love this spot for us. I don't think we'll cover. And I guess my score prediction is 27-24 West Virginia. I'll go 27-24 Texas Tech. I I think you can win. I, I don't feel good about covering either, though. 
I, I honestly would be a little bit surprised. I gave that score yesterday. I think I actually said 28-24, but I said a field goal would win it. So I meant to say 27-24. Um, I don't know that I don't know that these two teams score that much. No, I mean I've seen some of those charts plotting, you know, our quarterback play and offensive efficiency, and we're like bottom quarter nationally among the yeah. Power Five. Like yeah. it's it's not only leaving something to be desired; it's bad. And yeah, Pitt's offense probably a whole other level of bad. But I don't think we're like a tweak or two away from just being a really efficient offense. I think like average relative to the power five is kind of our ceiling this year or a quarterback away. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, like how, how feasible is it? You know? Yeah. I just feel like you have some things to work through for sure. All right. So I got, yeah, I hate to end it on like a negative note there, but I don't know if anybody would tune in if every week we're like, yeah, Tech's going to win 50 to zero. I mean, I, I would love to be wrong. If we go cover the six on the road in Big 12 play, I'll be over the moon. Um, and y'all can join Gaucho's After Dark Saturday night to tell me how wrong I was. I would, I would love to eat crow. I would love to watch that. So give me a, give me a final score prediction. For Texas Tech, West Virginia? Yeah. 27-24. Texas Tech. Tech. Okay. So we got the same score, just opposite sides. Yeah. All right. Well, as always, thank you everybody who tunes into this podcast. Something we forgot to promote. We're trying something a little bit different this year with our, uh, our discord community. We've invited uh, West Virginia content creators like irrational. If you follow him on Twitter, Moneyline Mac, who you went on the Ryan and Rush show podcast yesterday, We've invited them into the Discord so that it kind of gives Texas Tech fans a direct line to chop it up with them, ask them some questions, maybe gain some additional insights on the opponent. And we're going to try to do that with the Big 12 opponent every week. So always thinking of ways to make the Patreon subscription worth the squeeze. It's $5 a month. You can join us at patreon.com slash gambling gauchos. Uh, you get some, some analytics posts, some sports betting posts, uh, some exclusive interviews and access to the Discord server. So it's a good time. A portion of all proceeds go to the Matador Club. We would love for you to join us over there as well and appreciate you for joining us here on the podcast. There you go. That's all I got. Love y'all.